Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 114. I'm your host, Emily Aries, and I'm so excited to be heading to the Big Apple in just under two weeks for Bossed Up Bootcamp coming up on April 27 and 28. If you are considering a career change or want to just boss up your career in life for the rest of 2019, don't miss your chance to join me and our talented team of trainers for this one-of-a-kind program. We'll cover everything related to work, love, and wellness in one weekend. You'll leave with a fancy new headshot and a badass community of courage who's got your back as you continue to lift as you climb. Learn more and register now to join me before we fill up at bossedup.org slash bootcamp. Now on today's episode, I'm so excited to be sitting down in a full conversation with one of our longest serving Bossed Up Bootcamp trainers. My financial advisor, Chris Caruso, is actually someone I met by cold emailing her back in 2013 and meeting with her a few times to discuss our very first financial component to our very first Bossed Up Bootcamp in July of 2013. Chris was such a joy to work with, and our ladies loved learning from her so much that I've continued to bring her back at Bossed Boot Camps ever since. So she's one of our longest-serving fan favorites on the Bossed Up Trainer team, and I'm so excited for you to meet her. I also have to acknowledge that I am a client of Chris's recently. Actually, I just started working with her in a formal way in the last six months or so, and she's a huge reason why Brad and I have never felt more bossed up about our finances and all the big boss moves we've been making lately are directly tied to Chris helping us feel confident about our money. And just to give you a little extra context, Chris Caruso is a certified financial advisor with Bump Financial Group in Washington, D.C. She served in that capacity for over 10 years and has a passion for teaching women about money and investing. Bump Financial Group is a woman-owned, team-oriented financial planning practice that has a mission of education, service, and community participation. And in 2014, her team was deemed one of the top-performing Ameriprise financial practices in the entire country. Chris is a graduate of the University of Southern Maine and Bay Path University. She holds a bachelor's degree in sociology and gender studies. Now, Chris and I could talk on the podcast forever about a wide variety of topics, but I asked her to be on the show today in response to a truly profound question that came in through the podcast hotline from one of our wonderful listeners, Gilly. I'll let Gilly take it from here. Hey, Emily. My name is Gilly, and I have a career conundrum for your podcast. I am a sound designer uh, by trade, and I've been freelancing for years, and I've determined to make 2019 my year of wealth and having stability. So 
I have applied for jobs in my field and have not landed them. And it's kind of understandable because it's a very competitive field. So sort of a want for pursuing stability, I applied for General Assembly's user experience design program and got in. So that's really exciting. But since my acceptance into that program, I've won an award for my career in sound design or for a certain project. And I've also have encountered a lot of other offers that actually seem to be better fits. And they're not jobs I've really applied for. I've applied for a couple and have successfully interviewed and gone on to the next stage. I guess my question is, how do you choose a path when you hit a fork in the proverbial road? How can I choose between these two careers? Sound design seems like it could get more stable even though it's a more competitive industry. But if I'm good at it, then I could have a huge impact and be really fulfilled and continue to work with my passion. But if I choose UX design, that's more of a guarantee, even if I'm not loving what I do every day. Damn, Gilly, this is a real question that I feel like so many of us face, especially entrepreneurs like me or freelancers, really anyone with a side hustle they want to pursue. Do you choose the path to a steady paycheck or do you choose to pursue your passion? I'm so glad that, Chris, you are on the line today to help me break down this question and give Gilly some real talk. Thanks for being on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. And Gilly has given us a hell of a career conundrum to break down today. It's not an easy question, and I'm sure there are no easy answers, but I'm interested to hear your first instincts of advice to give when choosing between a paycheck versus a passionate career field that fuels your purpose, but not necessarily your bank account from a financial advisor's perspective, what would you share in terms of your first bits of advice for Gilly? Yeah, I've been thinking about this for a little while because there's so many layers to all of this. And the first piece that comes to me is that anything with practice can become passion. So I think Mm. if we step back and think about things that we didn't know how to do when we first started. So if I think about the things that like I love the best, you know, one of them is my job. And if you asked me when I was coming out of college with a music and gender studies degree, if I would be a financial advisor. <laughs> right. Did I have passion for, for money? No, but I have a passion for teaching. And that sort of all threads through to be able to do that. And so it was a lot of struggle and a lot of learning, but I've developed a passion for it. So I think to say that we can't pivot to a career to something that has quote unquote, no passion you don't necessarily yeah. can't make that decision and think about the things that we do have passion for, skills that we've developed. Those early stages probably were awful and not very passionate or very exciting. Um, so I think that's like the first thing I think about. I want to jump in there for a second because maybe what you're saying is that Gilly's binary choice that she's she's framed it as, you know, this proverbial fork in the road, as she says, might not be that clear cut. It might not be either or. It might not be money or passion. In fact, you know, what you just said about skills is a really critical point because what she's described is two basic skill sets, sound design and UX design. 
And currently, the world places more value, right? Our capitalistic economy places more value on the UX design skills. But perhaps she can find a way to apply those skills in a way that fuels her purpose, just like you applied your financial expertise to really building out the practice that feels impactful and purpose-driven for you. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I feel like that we don't know what we're not passionate about because we haven't built or cultivated that skill yet. Mm. So I think for you to say that it is a path of, do I pursue this career or do I pursue something else that is financially more stable? I don't think it automatically equals boring or humdrum or day-to-day, you know, bland. I don't think it's an either or. I think there's a lot of space in between there. Yeah. I'm also thinking about my own money mindset. Mm -hmm. I wonder what you would say about this because, you know, I grew up in a very working class family that used to make me think that making money means you've sold out (laughs) or you're somehow evil (sighs) or you didn't deserve it, right? Like there are rich people and then there's the rest of us. And, you know, I get where that comes from because we are in a very divided nation. You know, we do have a shrinking middle class. We do have a huge wealth gap in this country right now. But if we think that going off on the UX design path to make a more steady income for ourselves is akin to abandoning our passion. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like there's an inherent mindset there around money that is going to become a limiting belief. If you feel like you can't make money doing what you love, that can in some ways become self-perpetuating. Yeah. I had to do a lot of that work too around, you know, coming out of school, working in the nonprofit sector, teaching and realizing that I can still do good, but do right by myself and do right Mm. by what my needs were and what my family's needs are and still do good and give back and do the things in the world. And I really believe that for a lot of people, there's a lot of information, there's a lot out there that comes from coaches or gurus or other people, even you know people like Steve Jobs that say, do what you're passionate about. And the reality is, is that, you know, not everybody can make that work and become Steve Jobs by doing what you're passionate about. And sometimes people who do what they're passionate about, I have a friend who's a baker and she decided to take her baking and turn it into a job and she hates it. She hates that she has to produce (laughs) for other people and produce for the livelihood of her family And she's really reconsidered what that's done to her passion for money, that she's hustling her passion and it is now not a passion. Yeah. So I think we have to balance that a little bit too. I always say when I'm talking to crowds about burnout, you know, when did everyone's passion have to yield a paycheck? When did that become the reality as opposed to having hobbies or having passion projects? And maybe, you know, again, to push back on this binary choice that Gilly's given herself, maybe the in-between looks like, you know, so many of us, including myself, when I started Bossed Up, had a full-time gig that paid the bills. Right. And it, in some ways, I saw my political work that did not light me up, did not make me feel warm and fuzzy and great as my early investor in my startup. Yeah. <laughs> that paycheck was my investment and my employer's investment in what I was doing on the side. 
And being able to pursue that very openly and transparently was a pretty privileged position to be in because I'd negotiated really hard for that. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point. It reminds me of Emma, one of our Boss Up Bootcamp alums, who I'm pretty sure you're familiar mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. Emma BF. She recently joined me on the podcast to share a little bit about her story, which is also featured in my forthcoming book about this conflict between doing well versus doing good. And so what does the internal work look like when it comes to overcoming those limiting money beliefs that I think hold a lot of us back? I think it's practice. I think it's talking to people who have done you know, who've made that career pivot, who have done the work and believe that they, you know, are worthy of and deserve money to be paid fairly for the work that they do. And that it isn't shameful or bad or greedy to make a good income and have that security, that safety net that goes with sort of what some of us then sometimes feel like is selling out for an art or for a passion or something else to something that's, you know, really respectable and good work Mm. and that you can create a passion for or a joy of or happiness around. So many people in this country are, for whatever reason, you know, a major life event away from some really bad financial Straits, whether it's, you know, a long period of unemployment, whether it's medical expenses, an accident, and that weighs heavily on people in my experience. And so to being able to take that stress and anxiety away, because you now have benefits, a paycheck that's the same every, you know, week. There's a lot to be the said idea for that. that Gilly has made it her intention for this year. Isn't that such a beautiful proclamation? Yeah. Especially as a freelancer, we get a little comfortable with, oh, this is just the way things are. I have to martyr myself for my art, you know, to pursue this creative industry. We get treated like shit and that's the way it is. And just that bold proclamation is such a great way to start. I love that. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. I mean, I love that that statement was just made, you know, put it out there, make it the world. I think that the ability to create that evenness, that next step, Mm. I don't know how old Gilly is to say, but to say, you know, the sooner you create that financial stability, the sooner you can be work optional, the sooner you can pursue other things. So to take and say, I'm going to really invest in me, I'm going to invest in in whoever depends on me, whether it's kids or spouse or family, I'm going to invest in this, I'm going to invest smartly, I'm going to save my money, and I'm going to work towards this other goal. I'm going to keep my skills sharp on the side so that I'm not losing ground in this field that I'm passionate about, I'm going to maybe continue to dabble that maybe it becomes my side hustle, maybe it becomes something that I do because I love and then work towards making that your full time thing. When you have the protection of financial stability underneath that, you know, further down the line. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to give up on that goal completely either. Yeah, I look at it as time versus money, right? Like, if the money's not there, give yourself time to get it mm-hmm. there. And to buy yourself some time, get your money from that UX design <laughs> job, girl. <laughs> That's what I hear you saying, which I think yeah. is not too surprising yeah, coming from right. a financial expert. But it's a good reality check. 
I've got a question for all our freelancers who are listening to this. And as an entrepreneur yourself and really in your business, which is so driven by person-to-person growth in your advisory practice, how have you over the years gone from beginner boss to achieving that steady, predictable cash flow or even you know better than predictable cash flow And what advice would you give to other freelancers who are trying to balance doing the work versus bringing in the business? Yeah. I mean, I say what I say, you know, 12 years into doing what I do and starting out at a point where you're right, I wasn't making, you know, steady money. And I had to learn to create systems that when I did have really good months, I had to know really succinctly what my expenses were. And when I Mm. had more in a given month because of how my income fluctuated, I had to learn to set that aside. I had to switch (laughs) that. (laughs) I had to switch that feast or famine sort of mentality off to so often when we have scarcity or when we feel scarcity for anything, that when we have more, we tend to go into overdrive, we tend to sort of move into excess and use it all up. And then we have scarcity again. So I had to learn to know what my expenses were, know what my household needed, and set everything else aside. So that on months that were leaner, I had money to draw from. Right. Um, and it, it comes back to that basic that I say all the time, know what comes in, know what goes out, know what you need to make to earn to make your household run. And that's your goal. And so much of what we do when we're either running a business, whether you're freelancing or whether you have, you know, a job that has the same paycheck every week, you know, just setting those goals and being accountable to yourself with those goals and sort of turning off that need for instant gratification. That's the hardest piece of all of this is delaying that instant gratification for those things that you know are better for you in the long run. Yeah. It's like trading in the windfall feeling for the steady paycheck feeling. Right. Right. (laughs) I've always loved going into your offices over the years to see the really intriguing ways that you like to visually (sighs) plot that out. Because I feel like you're always coming up with new systems and practices and you're kind of an organizational freak, which of course I love. (laughs) Um, And can you just tell us, like, from what does your practice look like? How do you set those goals? How do you stay motivated to achieving them? And and what can other freelancers, especially who barely get any love on this podcast, because <laughs> we haven't we haven't really talked about the freelancer experience enough here. Like, what would you advise them yeah. to do to set up systems and and benchmark goals like you have? Like, what's worked best for you? I'm a visual person, and for me delaying that gratification, I have to know why. I have to understand the why. So for me, I'm a big goal setter. I have a coach. I work with a coach. She's been, you know, huge in me shifting that um that mindset of setting those goals, setting goals that challenge me. And I I try and relay that over to my clients by helping them set goals. But I'm visual. Um, I have to know why I'm delaying this, you know, thing, hey, do you want to go do X, Y, and Z this weekend? And know that it's going to cost me a few hundred dollars. Do I really want to do that? Like, is that really in line with what I am working for? And in order for me to have that, I need that visual reminder. So for me, that is 
systems related to like daily habits and daily tasks in uh, my tracker. I use a different tracker than the one that you've, the, not the bossed up tracker. Right. I use a different, I use a passion planner. Yep. Um, but in that, you know, I have these little daily checkboxes that am I doing these things? On a monthly basis, I'm checking in against my goals. When my goal is sort of visually attractive, whether it's travel to somewhere fun, or we recently bought a house. And when we were working towards that goal, I'll stick pictures around the house, like on my bathroom mirror, (laughs) um, or on my refrigerator, or as like the background screen on my phone, so that I have that reminder um, that sometimes blocks out, um, or that helps me block out the immediate gratification that's out Mm. there all the time. I love that. I feel like, am I remembering correctly that at one point I saw you had used like a frame in your office to frame your targets for each quarter. (laughs) And then you used a whiteboard marker, like a dry erase marker to fill in on top of the frame (laughs) as you achieve them. I just love that. I I think I said like four years ago to you, I'm going to do that. And I have yet to do it, but maybe this conversation will re-inspire me. Yeah. we uh, As a team, we set goals. We set personal goals, professional goals, physical, spiritual goals, sort of whatever works for people. And I really believe that all of those are connected. Yeah. You know, that we have to have balance and all of those things to to reach those goals. But you have to write them down. You have to look at them. You have to look at them more than once a month. You have to look at them more than once a quarter. Yeah. So I put them on my desk so that I can see them every day. So I know what I'm reminding. And it switches in our brain. It, it changes how our brains work and how we're working for things. And it helps delay that gratification of mm. the things that you, that extra thing that just popped into your email that you should buy at 30% off. It helps turn all that off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's too real. I feel called out with that email reference. But yes. We all are though, right? <laughs> yeah. Every single one of us gets that. So on this note, this idea of being clear about your goals and benchmarking your progress towards it, one of the things that was interesting that I always struggle with as an entrepreneur myself, and I've heard a lot of different side hustlers and freelancers especially get hit up on for this all the time, is finding the right balance between getting it done, right, getting business in the door versus continuously investing in yourself. You mentioned you have a coach. Gilly mentioned that she did a GA course, which we Mm -hmm. love GA here, by the way, because they've continuously sponsored our boot camps Mm. in New York. And we love GA. But those programs are great. And and retooling and investing in your own accountability is great. But that should cost money, right? Like, what is Mm -hmm. the right balance Mm -hmm. between spending money in order to invest in yourself versus the scrappy DIY school that I subscribe to (laughs) for most of my time as an entrepreneur, the figure it out version of get your money and and get there a little slower because you're doing it, you know, through the school hard knocks. Yeah, there's, and I can't think of, I'll have to send you after the podcast who it is, but there's a guy out there that talks about allocating your income and allocating the money you have by percentages to different ideas. And that between 50 and 60, 65% of your income should really go towards running your life. You know, the day-to-day stuff, rent, mortgage, groceries, insurances, all the things that you do in your life. And that that other 35% 
you should be allocating towards saving, towards gifting, right. um, tithing, charitable contributions, fun, just absolute, you know, fun money. So allocating right. you know, a percent of that. But he also believes that you should allocate five to 10% of what comes in towards personal and professional development. So whether that's hiring a coach, yeah. whether that's additional education, whether it's coursework, that we do have to continue to invest in ourselves to stay relevant. So whether mm. it's like, you know, Gilly in a tech field, you know, technology is changing all the time. All of us, our jobs, I mean, my job is very different now than it was 12 years ago in terms of, of the way I work. And I think that's true for all of us. Podcasts didn't exist 12 years ago. <laughs> so right, right, um, whether right, we use right. that 10% or 5% or whatever it is to stay relevant or to in our fields or hiring a coach or investing in workshops or things like that, I think it's super important that you do that. And I feel like it pays for itself if you carve out the time and you do the work. There are so many people who make a lot of money off of the entrepreneurial desire for community and desire mm-hmm. for advice, right? Yeah. And I'm in the business, right? Yeah. I train trainers. Yep. I, I share everything I know about public speaking and getting booked as a public speaker with my trainer team. And that's a program that we've grown over the last two years. Yeah. But I'm also thinking of the Marie Forleo B-schools out there, you yeah. know, the six to $8,000 programs out there which is a fine investment if that is 10% of what you're bringing in. Or if it's a goal that you work towards over a period of time. Right. Yeah. It's just like, I don't want to call it predatory, but I have seen many a freelancer and many an entrepreneur and side hustler Mm -hmm. go into debt because Mm -hmm. they believe this guru, this other person will have all the answers. And if I take this course and I do it right and I fully invest in myself, I will then be rolling in it. Right. And I find that problematic. It is. And it to me, it stays in line with that setting your goals, know what you're working towards, mm. know what you're working for, and make sure that those choices you make are in line with what you're working for because it's that same instant gratification. It's the same, you know, FOMO of like, <laughs> right. there's all these things. I'm going to sign up for this now. It's like an exercise program. It's like a diet. It's like right. anything. They promise these results. And anyone who does the work and commits to it probably can get some results or right. all the results, but we can't do it all. We and we can't do to... it instantly, like you've said. No, no, no. And if th- what this person is offering to us, whatever this course is or this coaching or whatever this program is, it's available may be the best of the best. But if it is not in alignment with your goals, your vision and your trajectory for yourself, then it's not the right one. Mm, How interesting. It's picking that out just as carefully as we pick out anything else like we've been talking about. And it kind of reminds me of where the conversation started with Gilly using Mm -hmm. this metaphor of a path. I'm on this career path. I can choose Mm -hmm. one or the other. And it always has felt especially in career coach or guidance counselor speech that if you open this one door, this other door disappears for forever. And for me, the better mental visual is the cyclical iterative process of refining your career, refining your business, refining your practice as a entrepreneur or side hustler or a freelancer. Mm -hmm. And that you can't just go into a program and expect to come out 
with a fully functioning business, the right. beauty of the iterative process is that you get a little bit of market exposure. You get to trial and error your way along for a little while, see what works, see what doesn't. And then when you have the ability to invest in continued education for yourself, do it. But even when it comes to grad school, I'm so skeptical. <laughs> and I'd be curious from your educational background what you think of this because I think women are so much more likely to buy into this idea that if I go get another degree, if I do a course, if I sign up for this program, I will become qualified and therefore the world will reward me. And we've been sold a bill of goods on that front. Like it does not replace experience. No, but I love the model that UA uses of here's really marketable current job uh, attractive skills. Oh, for sure. Take like this GA? course. It's short. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So much. It's so. short. It's tangible. It's moving forward. So I think, you know, from this perspective of, of career pivoting, I think it's smart. But I think, again, it goes back into, you know, what's the actual outcome? What is the cost, the physical cost, the emotional cost, the actual cost to my pocketbook and my future debts? Right. Um, and will I be making enough to be able to pay those debts off? Yeah. Oof. That always comes up at Boston Bootcamp when you're our featured financial advisor. Yeah, I, I talk to a lot of women, women in particular, but I think that's because that's who my market is, mm-hmm. about that cost of furthering their education, graduate school, and the cost of taking loans out. And, and we do spend time really looking at what is it going to get me in future career earnings versus what is it going to get me in a pile of student loans. Yeah. And, what's the ROI on a program like that? Yeah. And by comparison, something shorter and more timely like GA (laughs) blows graduate school out of the water. But it's funny. I'll link to the conversation I had on the blog with Maggie Germano, another Bossed Up community member you're you're familiar with because she pivoted into financial coaching. And Maggie and I did a a Q&A style interview about is grad school worth it, which I don't know how we got onto this topic, but it is such a timely topic where Gilly's probably listening like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to grad school. But uh, important disclaimer in, in navigating the investing in yourself versus getting your money, you know, balancing act, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like refining skills, staying current with technology, with what's happening in the marketplace is super, super important no matter what we do. And I think that if it allows you to move into something that is going to provide that stability yeah, yeah. that you know, you're know you looking for or that you decide that it's enough. Mm. Because I think when we start businesses, I often advise people that there's a, a time, you've got to put a timeline yeah. on it. You know, maybe it's one year, two years, three years to say, how long am I going to give this a go? And when is it time to call it quits and look for something else? And I think that's important to know that to give yourself that permission at the beginning when you start something to say, you know, if this doesn't, I'm going to give this a year, I'm going to give this two years, however long you set. And then it's time to look at something else. Yeah, I love that. Again, it's not a path. It's not a jungle gym. It's this cycle, right? Like we can constantly learn and evolve and grow. And every time around the sun, you know, we get a little better. And so having a little bit of forgiveness with ourselves is so key. And Gilly, if you're listening to this, whatever you've chosen to do since you called in this question into the podcast hotline, like you can unchoose that. (laughs) 
can change your mind. You can double down. You can set a timeline, just like Chris is saying. Like, I think that is such a good piece of advice. You can determine for yourself how long you want this experiment to run before adjusting another variable and seeing what happens. I love it. But I also think that there's, you know, a lot to be said for the comfort of stability. Oh, hell yeah. Of having enough money to pay you know, your bills and your rent and taking care of the people that depend on you and knowing that you're working towards securing your future. So thinking about retirement, thinking about being work optional and financial independence at a certain point in your life. There's a lot to be said. Yeah, don't let anyone tell you it's uncool or that you're selling out. (laughs) Make (laughs) your money because financial stability is very cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, let's make that a thing. I think the millennial generation, for whatever reason, has come up with our new American dream, which is like your passion must yield a paycheck. And that is some BS. That is, yeah, no, Mm. it is just as cool to have a 401k. Right, Chris? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm working on that. Because it's the ultimate freedom. I mean, it's, it's the delayed gratification, but financial security is that ultimate freedom and that ultimate ability to follow your passion. Amen. And the sooner you can lock that money in and start earning money so you can be saving money, the younger you do it, the less you have to save over time because of compounding and growth and you know, all of that fun, geeky money stuff. But the sooner you do it, that is that ultimate, you know, F you fun. That, you know, isn't just a need to be able to leave this relationship or this job. It's that I get to have the life that I choose when I'm, you know, X number of years old and can do whatever it is that I think I want to do and explore all of Mm. these additional things. So delaying that passion project till a time when, maybe kids are grown or to you, you know, got that financial security is, is absolutely possible as well. I love that. Great advice, Chris. For our listeners who want to follow up with you and learn more about what you do, I'll drop a link in today's show notes, but tell us a little bit about who you work with and how you support them. And I'm very familiar with it, but I want all these ladies to be too. (laughs) So yeah, I'm a financial advisor. I work with a team in Washington, DC, Bump Financial Group. And I do comprehensive advice. So full soup to nuts, financial planning, everything from net worth and cash flow to helping you evaluate risk to helping my clients set and achieve financial goals, whether they're short-term or long-term and everything in between. And I sort of say that I like to leave no stone unturned when it comes to people's financial lives. Oh God, that's that's too real for me right now. <laughs> I feel like Brad and I owe you phone calls too. I know Brad does, <laughs> but we're working on it. Yes, yeah, so I know, I know. Um, but yeah, this is part of the reason you, Chris, are a big part of the reason why I feel more on top of my money, you know, than ever before and more bossed up about our bank accounts and our financial situation than ever. So thank you for what you do. It's amazing. For those of you who might've missed it, Chris, a couple of weeks back did sponsor a boss tip episode all about how I've been negotiating down everyday fees and getting back some money and and reducing everyday charges. So if you haven't seen that episode yet or heard that episode or read the blog post that goes along with it, you should definitely check it out and I'll drop it in today's show notes too. Chris, thank you so much for your brilliance and for sharing your time and talents with our bosses. Oh, you're welcome. It's always so much fun to have these conversations with you. 
If you want to learn more about Chris Caruso and sign up for a free 30-minute consultation to talk over your money matters with her, head to bossedup.org slash talk to Chris. That's bossedup.org slash T-A-L-K-T-O Chris with no H. So C-R-I-S. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hey, Emily. My name is Erin, and I'm a nurse at a nonprofit in Washington, D.C. My biggest boss move of 2018 is being promoted from nurse manager to executive director. My new role will start on January 1st, and I'm especially proud to be the first nurse to ever serve in this capacity at our organization. It's been a steep learning curve and a huge leap of faith, but the Boss Up podcast has really helped to boost my confidence and provide me with inspiration. Thanks for helping me to lift as I climb. Yes, boss, I am cheering you on and so proud of you. And I'm so glad you called in this boss move to the podcast hotline so we can cheer you on. If you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum that you want me to break down on the podcast next, give our Bossed Up podcast hotline a ring right now and leave me a message at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That's all we got for you today. I hope to see some of you at Bossed Up Bootcamp in New York City later this month, April 27 and 28, or in all of the fabulous cities we've just announced we'll be taking the Bossed Up book tour to starting in late May, including Denver, D.C., Hartford, Providence, New York City, Chicago, Austin, L.A., and San Francisco. If you haven't signed up to join me IRL for the Bossed Up book tour already, head to bossedup.org book and register to join me now. In the meantime, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose and together we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are 
owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 